Are your values really what you think they are? Welcome to this week's episode of the Bites of Judaism podcast, helping you unlock your best life, know your why, and be everything you were born to be. To subscribe to the podcast on your platform of choice, go to rabbiglick.link slash podcast. This podcast has been made possible by Mr. and Mrs. David and Malkis Natana. This episode is dedicated in honor of the birthday of a dear and special person who wishes to remain anonymous. To dedicate a future episode, send an email to podcast at rabbiglick.com. This is actually really a very important question because values play a huge role in our lives. The extent to which we value things is very influential in how we form our priorities and in how we live our lives. So are your values really what you think they are? I want to present you with a question now. Now this is a question that I want you to actually ask yourself. And that is, what do you value most in life? Now some of us are going to be able to answer that on the fly. We know on the tip of our tongue what our value, our primary value is or what our values are. Some of us might need to think for a few seconds, maybe for a minute or two. You know, it's not a simple question. You know, and it it makes sense that we might need to take a minute or two to reflect and think, really, what are our values? What, What do we value most in life? There may be one thing that is our number one value. There may be, you know, two or three. The answer is not 12 things. If the answer is 10 or 12 things, we need to drill down because out of 10 or 12 things, there are going to be one or two or three, maybe four or five, maybe things that we really value above all else. But, you know, one, two, maybe three. What is or are our our top values? What are our values? And... You can pause and take a minute to think about that if you want, but really ask yourself that. What, what, what do you value most in life? And once you've thought about that, I want to ask a second question. Now, I want to give a little bit of a, an introduction or to lay some, some groundwork before I ask this question. And what I'm about to say is, I would say, it, I would describe it as being obviously obvious, but despite how obvious it is, painfully obvious, I'm going to say it anyway. And the reason I'm going to say this anyway is because we have, you know, protective mechanisms, the same way we have, you know, protective systems in our DNA and in our physiology. We have protective mechanisms in our mind, in our subconscious that are there to, you know, protect us from things that would would be too much, things that would hurt us, maybe things that would just, you know, overwhelm us and we wouldn't be able to handle. So sometimes if there's something that would just be too confronting, too much to to address or to think about, you know, either we maybe just refuse to think about it. Sometimes what we do is we tell ourselves we've thought about it. We said, yeah, I thought about that, but without really thinking about it. We sort of, you know, very superficially think about it, if at all, and tell ourselves that we've thought about it, but without really thinking about it. And, you know, and sometimes that's necessary because there are some things that really would be too much. That's, you know, that's why denial is a part of human nature. Sometimes it's necessary, but sometimes there are things that would not be, you know, supremely comfortable to think about things that would be confronting and maybe substantially uncomfortable, but things that would also be very, very valuable and helpful for us to address directly, to confront, to really think about and ask ourselves and to process. And, you know, sometimes those things, as uncomfortable as they are, and as much as we want to resist thinking about them, 
sometimes the value and the growth we can achieve as a result of thinking about them sometimes it can be really life-changing and you know and the value and the benefit of of confronting them far outweighs the discomfort so you know and i think this can be the case about the question that i'm about to ask which is why i'm giving this introduction so as painfully obvious as it is as obviously obvious as it is i want to just point out so that you know we're all aware of this our conscious minds are aware of this you're not going to have to answer this question verbally i'm going to ask a question and i really do want you to think about it honestly but you're thinking about this in your head no one is going to hear your thoughts you're not going to respond to me you're not going to respond to anyone else so it's safe it's safe for you to actually confront this question to think about this honestly and ask yourself honestly and take the time to you know to confront it and think about it because no one else is going to know so and and again you don't need me to tell you that you're not going to answer this and no one's going to hear your thoughts but i want to just point it out you know to make it as clear as possible that you know we're all safe here to take the time to actually ask ourselves this question seriously and honestly and to take the time to think about it and that question is if someone else would observe your life for an hour a day a week and then i would go and ask this other person based on their observation of how you live your life what they think your values are based on the way they see you behave what do they perceive as being valuable to you what do they think your values are and the question is would they give the same answer that you gave to the first question right would someone who observes the way that we behave accurately predict what our values are now sometimes you know for some of us the answer might be yes I would speculate that it's going to be no to some degree for all of us. You know, for some of us it's like, uh yeah, not so much. Very clearly obvious. It's a no-brainer. For some of us, you know, it might be, yeah, mostly yes, honestly. For some of us it might seem like it's yeah, like very much. Again, I'm going to speculate that for all of us, if we dig deep enough, we'll find some discrepancies. You know, I'm I'm you know, giving us the benefit of the doubt to assume that we'll have to dig deep to find discrepancies but I would go out on a limb and speculate that there are some discrepancies between our behavior and you know what we report as being our values that all of us are going to have some discrepancies and therefore if someone was to observe our behavior and to, and then if we'd ask them to you know to tell us what they think our values are you know what what they report as being their estimate of our values based on our behavior might be somewhat different at least to what we report as being our values now and there can be different reasons for that you know sometimes the reason is just that we're not perfect we're human and they might really be our values and we might really strive to live a life according to those values and you know what we're not angels 
sometimes we do things, we try, we're not perfect, we don't succeed in doing what we're trying to do. Now, and that's part of the human experience. That's That struggle is why we're here. And ultimately, if we're not perfect, and if sometimes we behave in a way that doesn't align with what we, we report as being our values, all that means is that there's a good reason for us to get out of bed tomorrow. There's good reason for us to keep on living our life has purpose because there's growth we still need to make and there's achievements, you know, that we still need to achieve. So there's nothing wrong with that. And that's really not what I want to focus on in this, in this conversation. What I want to focus on is a very different reason for, you know, what a discrepancy that may show up, let's say, between the way we behave and the values we report, what we report as being our values. And sometimes what can happen is that there can be a, a, a serious gap, a real gap between our general behavior, the way we behave generally. I'm not talking about a specific action, a specific you know behavior in a given moment. I'm talking about the way we live our lives generally. Sometimes there can be a very big gap between that, between the way we live our lives and our general behavior and our values. And that doesn't, you know, it doesn't come from us being dishonest about what our values are. It doesn't necessarily come from us, you know, not trying or not wanting to live up to our values. You know, it's, there are some really important things that come into play in, you know, creating this gap that can show up relatively frequently between our values and our behavior. And that's really what I want to focus on. And for a couple of reasons, number one is, you know, that's a much bigger issue than the fact that sometimes we're not perfect. You know, and if we can address that, we can make a huge difference in our lives. And and this is something that's really very important. And it's important, not just in terms of our values and not just, you know, from the idealistic perspective, but it's, it's really important in terms of our quality of life and our well-being. Because if there's something or if there are some things that we value highly, things that are important to us, and that's really what we believe that life's supposed to be about and what life is about and what we want our lives to be about. And we find ourselves consistently behaving in a way that, you know, leaves a substantial amount to be desired as far as our values are concerned. You know, that, that can, over time, lead to you know, real deficits in our well-being. It can leave us feeling drained. It can leave us feeling frustrated. It can leave us, you know, it can lead to self-loathing and resentment. And, you know, it can chip away at our confidence and chip, it, chip away at, at our self-respect. And and it, it can lead to a whole host of things that are just really not good, let's say. So, you know, because... We all want to do the right thing. We all want to live a life according to our values. But, you know, having a substantial gap between our values and the way we live life, you know, at least in some parts of life, again, I'd say that to varying degrees, it's it's a relatively common thing. Definitively, I can only speak for myself, but, you know, I, I think to, to some degree, it's a relatively common thing, to varying degrees. And... You know, and we can address this and I want to address it. I want to you know, discuss three specific steps. They're broad steps. It's not like, you know, action A, B and C and then it's all taken care of. Obviously, something like this is not going to be addressed in with three actions that are going to take us a couple minutes each. But three distinct but broad steps 
through which we can, we really can realistically to a very substantial degree, eliminate and then maybe prevent, prevent the creeping up of, you know, all the negative things in life that result from this gap. And the way we do that is by reducing the gap. So I want to talk about three steps by which we can reduce this general gap between our values and our behavior. So step number one is going to be understanding the nature of the gap, understanding why this gap is so common. Why is it that it's such a common phenomenon that if we have our values, why is it so common that we behave out of line with our values? Step number two is going to be to understand based on, you know, the, the, the conceptual basis of this gap to come up with a, you know, a conceptual way to bridge the gap and then to take that concept of how to bridge the gap and actually translate it into a, a real strategy about how we can actually, you know, put that into action and really start taking tangible steps to bridge that gap and to to bring our behavior closer and closer to our values so that the life we live will reflect our values more accurately and we'll feel healthier, we'll feel more fulfilled, we'll feel happier, we'll feel more confident, we'll have more self-respect. And the benefits of that to our First of all, literally to our, our physiological health, certainly to our mental and emotional well-being and to our quality of life are, I would say, cannot be overstated how much we can improve and, and improve our well-being by bringing our behavior more in line with our values. So step number one is understanding the nature of the gap, where the gap comes from and, and why it's so common. And I would say that in a, to a large degree, what this boils down to is the difference between our mind and our heart. And I say heart figuratively. The gap between knowledge, understanding what we know, what we think, and the way we feel. Because you know, generally, the thing that has the most immediate impact on behavior, the thing that drives behavior most immediately, the thing that immediately affects what we're going to do, our actions, is our feelings, right? We feel something. We feel inclined to do something. We're likely to do it. We feel a desire. We feel an interest in something. We're likely to do it. If we have a conceptual academic understanding of the value of something, we might do it, you know, and, and that you know, has a number of pathways by which it'll affect the likelihood of us doing it. And we'll get to that. But if we feel that something's valuable, we're a lot more likely to take action and to do it than if we just think or know or understand that it's valuable, right? Feelings drive behavior immediately. And by immediately, I don't mean in time. I mean, it's the closest thing, the closest thing that drives behavior and action is feelings, the way we feel. And, you know, we don't always feel the way we should based on what we know. Sometimes we know that something's important and we value it highly in our minds. And if you'd ask me, you know, what my values are, I'd say my values are A, B, and C. 
but in terms of my feelings, I really want other things. I'm interested in other things. I'm, I'm, you know, engaged by other things. I'm attracted to other things. And that's going to be a very, those feelings are going to be a very powerful force in driving my behavior towards those things rather than towards what I know and believe to be truly valuable. So because, you know, our mind and our heart, our thoughts and our feelings are separate things that, you know, happen independently in different parts of different parts of our consciousness. And our behavior is most immediately driven by our feelings. If our feelings are out of sync, out of line with our, you know, our values and our beliefs, it's likely that our behavior could end up, you know, it's our behavior could realistically end up out of line with our beliefs and our values because it's driven by our feelings most immediately. Now, we we can, you know, w- this doesn't mean that we're doomed to just act based on how we feel, obviously, and we'll get to that. But generally speaking, naturally, we're most inclined, all things being equal, to ba- to behave based on what we feel more seamlessly than based on what we think. So the gap, I guess maybe we can put it this way, the gap between our values and beliefs and our behavior, if there is such a gap, is probably to a large degree, let's say, a result of the gap between our minds and our hearts, between our thoughts and our feelings. So, step two is going to be, right, what was step two? How to bridge that gap conceptually, to come up with the concept. If we understand conceptually where that gap comes from, if the gap between values and behavior comes from the gap between our thoughts and our feelings, our minds and our hearts, then in parallel with that concept, the the way to build that bridge is going to be to find a way what we need to achieve is to align our hearts with our mind to align our feelings with our values and if we can find a way find a a, a pathway to get our feelings to match our values and our beliefs that's going to start to drive our behavior to be more in line with our values and our beliefs. Because look, the fact is, as you know, as I said a minute ago, we are not doomed to behaving according to our feelings, right? Any healthy, mature person on a relatively regular basis is going to be exercising self-control and behaving based on what we know we're supposed to do rather than just what we feel like, how we feel. We are capable of, you know, of exerting that self-control and behaving in line with our values and beliefs against our feelings when necessary. But the bottom line is every time we have to do that, it takes effort. And which means number one to, you know, to make that our approach. If we, you know, to say that, well, I want to live a life that's in line with my feelings. So every time I feel something that's different to my, my values and my beliefs, I'm going to just have self-control and go against, you know, the tide of my feelings and do what I'm supposed to do. As a long-term strategy, that's, you know, it's it's high risk because every time we have to do that, it takes a lot of effort and we're not perfect. And the larger the number of times we have to, you know, have self-control to fight our feelings, to behave in line with our values, 
the higher the likelihood that there's going to be, you know, numerous instances of our behaving in ways that are not aligned with our values. Because to successfully exert that self-control every single time on an ongoing basis takes a lot of effort. It takes repeated effort, you know, and on an ongoing basis, it's very demanding and it's going to take a toll. And it's, it's not a stable or reliable approach, you know, just to say, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps, have self-control, be an adult, just behave according to your values, despite the fact that your feelings drive you to behave otherwise is, look, if that's the only option we have, then that's what we've got to do as mature people. But, you know, it, it's very obviously not ideal as a long-term strategy because it's relatively high risk in terms of the likelihood of us, you know, pulling that off successfully every time. It's very demanding. It's going to start to take a real toll. So, but, you know, we, we do want, and it is important and very valuable to align our behavior with our values because, you know, as I mentioned earlier, when we, when our behavior is out of line with our values, misaligned with our values, it takes a toll. It doesn't make us feel good. It's not good for our well-being. So if we can find a, a good, effective, lower maintenance, lower risk, less demanding strategy to really successfully and effectively get our behavior in line with our values, that's going to be a much better approach. And such approach, such an approach does exist, right? So conceptually, what we want to try to do is to find a way to shift our feelings and to bring them in line with our values. And if we can shift our feelings as a whole, if we can take our feelings and shift them to bring them in line with our values, then our behavior is naturally going to fall more in line with our values. And on an ongoing basis, as a result of that shift, our, our behavior is naturally going to be better aligned with our beliefs and our values. And that's going to lead to you know, less tension greater self-respect and self-love and a greater sense of satisfaction and fulfillment and confidence and, you know, all of these things. So, you know, and, and finding a way to get our feelings to be better aligned with our beliefs, that's the magic bullet. And if and once we can find a way to make that happen broadly, to really realign our feelings with our values that can really, you know, and it, it might sound like a bit of a overstatement, but I really don't think it is. That can cause a huge shift in the course of our lives. It can cause a huge shift in our behavior and a huge shift in our well-being and, and our sense of fulfillment. So the question then is, you know, step number three. So step number one was understanding where this gap comes from. And, you know, that's the gap between our thoughts, our knowledge, and our feelings, which results in a gap between our values and our behavior. Step number two is understanding conceptually, conceptually at least, a good approach to bridging that gap. And the best approach to bridging the gap between our values and our behavior is going to be to find a way, if we can, and we can, to bridge the gap between our mind and our heart, between our thoughts, our knowledge, what we think, what we know, what we believe, and the way we feel. If we can bridge that gap, 
reduce that gap. Really what we want to do is not bridge the gap, but actually reduce, ideally eliminate, but maybe that's pushing it. But we re very realistically can dr drastically reduce that gap. And as we reduce the gap between our beliefs and our values and our feelings, we'll reduce the gap between our values and our behavior. So now we're up to step three, which is a practical strategy to build that bridge or not to bridge the gap again, better than bridging the gap is to reduce the gap. And we really, you know, this can be achieved very effectively because feelings are very malleable. Feelings change, feelings, you know, can be bent and reshaped and our feelings, you know, sometimes our feelings can shift on a dime, but you know, our, our basic fundamental feelings, not just shifting from one to another, but, but the, the real nature of our feelings it can change, you know, and it does change. It's, I'm sure that every one of us, if we reflect for a minute, we'll see that our feelings have changed over time. Number one, as we've grown and matured and number two, throughout life, you know, there are a number of things and I would say maybe really three things I would say that influence our feelings, let's say, right? Number one is going to be nature, our nature. Number two is going to be our minds. Number three is going to be our environment and circumstances, right? So number one is our nature. Our genes, our genetic makeup, our physiological makeup, the physical makeup of our brains, the way that we're hardwired is going to have a very large say in the way we feel about things. A very large say. That's number one. But that we can't do anything about. We can't change our genes. We can't change our nature. So that is what it is. But there are two more things that have substantial input into our feelings. And those are things that we can address. So, you know, I, I'm going to elaborate for a second on what I said was number three, because that's, I would say, second priority, and then come back to number two, which is priority number one. So the third thing I mentioned was environment, our experiences, our circumstances, right? Everything we experience affects our feelings. Right. If you if you see someone get hurt, for example, the thing that hurt that person, especially if it's someone close to you, is going to change the way you feel about that thing because it hurt someone you love, etc. And you know the same would be the opposite. If you see something, if you see someone help someone you love, the way you feel towards that person is going to change. So our environment, our experiences, our circumstances, all of those things are going to affect the way we feel about things. And, you know, there are things we can do about that. We have a degree of control over our circumstances. You know, the people we interact with, the people we hang around a lot of, have a very big influence on how we feel. And if there are people who are maybe, you know, being not such a good influence over the way we feel and they're, you know, driving our feelings out of sync with our values, it might be a good idea to change, you know, to to be intentional and maybe change who we spend time around and, you know, who we who we allow the right to influence the way we feel. If the people that are, you know, influencing our feelings at the moment are doing us a disservice by, you know, increasing the gap between our values and our feelings. You know, and, and people, acquaintances, friends, etc., is one part of that environment and circumstances and, you know, the places we go, the things we're involved in, etc. And, you know, we might have varying degrees of realistic ability to change those things. But something that also has a massive influence over our feelings, over the way we feel, that we have a lot of control over. In some ways, it's more difficult to exert this control. But at the same time, we have 
if we're prepared to do the work and to, to step up to the plate, we have a very large degree of control over this second, I guess, category of influences over our feelings. And that's our minds. Information, learning, becoming familiar with things, right? The more we know about something, the better informed our disposition towards it, our feelings towards it are going to be, right? We can't control our nature. We can control our environment to some degree, but we can control, number one, what we know by learning, by seeking information. We can control what we think about, right? It takes effort. It's a lot easier to just sit and relax and let thoughts run through our minds. But we all know how that, you know, where that can end up. And it's not always going to be good for us, to say the least. And we can, to a very large degree, probably almost completely, if we want to, control what we think about and control the thoughts that we, you know, that we entertain with our minds. So I would say that it really makes sense to make that the focus of our practical strategy. If we want to be able to live a life that's seamless, where our behavior is continuous, is on a continuum with our values, we have values, we have beliefs, our behavior and the life that we live, the way we behave, the way we interact with people, the way we live our lives really reflects those values. And the benefits of this cannot be overstated. If we want to achieve that, and we can, the thing that it really makes sense to focus on and to put our effort into is our thoughts, is what we know and what we think about. You know, and focusing on the mind can give us a a strategy that can really very comprehensively address the issue. And by... You know, being intentional with our minds, being intentional what we learn, being intentional about what we think about and how we think and what we think can, I would say, realistically over time, have a just about, just about completely close that gap. Now, obviously, to literally completely close that gap is a lifetime of work. But, you know, I think realistically we can, in a relatively short amount of time, reduce that gap dramatically and then continually over time make it smaller and smaller to the point that it becomes, you know, really quite small. So, you know, and again, I'm not here, this conversation is not even about what the values are. I'm not here to try to convince you to change your values that, you know, if that's, that's a whole different conversation. That's not the topic of this conversation. What this conversation is about is, you know, are our values really what we think they are? Are our emotional values, the values of our feelings, what we value in the way we feel, and the values that are illustrated in our behavior, are those values the values that we think we value in our heads? That's the question. And to address that and to, to improve things in that department doesn't, it's not about changing our values. It's about aligning the values in our heart with those in our head. It's about aligning our feelings with our beliefs. Now, if our hearts feel differently to what our heads believe, 
How can we close that gap? We can close that gap by, you know, by bringing our hearts and our feelings on board, by communicating our values and the value of those values to our hearts, to the degree that our feelings, you know, that in our hearts we start to appreciate those values. If we can do that effectively, if we can, you know, convince our hearts of our values, then the feelings in our hearts are going to start to come in line with those values. You know, it, it, in a way, it, it, the, the actual process is kind of like, remember in the introduction before I asked the second question about, you know, if someone observes you, is their, you know, prediction or expectation or description of what your values are going to match what you say your values are, right? And, and, and before that, I said, just stop and remember that no one's going to hear this. You don't have to answer to anyone else so you can feel safe to think about it. And the point of saying that was, you know, to to take what you already knew was true. You knew you weren't going to, we all knew that we weren't going to be ex- verbalizing that answer to anyone. But the fact is there's still a natural instinct to, you know, to avoid maybe that question if it's going to be confrontational and just reminding ourselves verbally expressing what we know deep down bringing it out and expressing it to our hearts expressing it to our subconscious mind can help you know bridge that gap and make it easier to to allow ourselves to ask that question and to to confront it if it's going to be confrontational same sort of thing here by taking the values that we have up here in our heads and finding a way to you know, and we'll talk about what this looks like, but to find a way to express those values to our hearts so that our feelings, our hearts start to appreciate those values and then our feelings start to align with those values. If we can find a way to do that, we can close that gap and we can we can achieve a sustainable, stable, ongoing alignment between our behavior and the way we live our lives and our values which is a game changer it's a game changer in our quality of life it's a game changer in our you know emotional well-being in our sense of fulfillment etc so the question is how do we do that and you know we, we have values up here how do we express those values you know take what's you know sort of maybe tied up and hidden up here in our heads and, and express that to our hearts, I would say really it probably boils down, and I've, I've, I've mentioned this before, boils down to, I would say, maybe three possibilities, three approaches, maybe a combination of them. And number one is thinking about it consciously, consciously thinking about it. Number two is talking about it. And number three is writing about it. You know, and consciously thinking about things, as I, you know, as, as unintuitive as it sounds, it, it's not such an easy thing to do. You know, to, to follow a thought process just mentally in thought without speech or writing and to think something through without becoming, you know, very distracted. It's it's not an easy thing to do and we can do it and we can train ourselves to do it. But, you know, I, I think that for most people, it's focusing on that is, is probably not the best place to start if it's not something we've already, you know, developed a discipline in. But certainly talking and writing talking about things has a way of, of, you know, pulling things out, pulling things that were buried in our minds, pulling them out, 
uncovering them and then when we express them we become consciously aware of things that you know used to be buried deep down in our minds and the same thing with writing now i think with when it comes to speaking and writing speaking and writing personally i prefer speaking over writing some people i think there are a lot of people who prefer writing both of them are going to be very helpful with digging things out of you know and uncovering things that are buried in our thoughts and and communicating them expressing them consciously which will make our hearts and our emotions more aware of them and over time that will start to inform our hearts inform the way we feel and bring our feelings in line with those values the values we have in our heads and ultimately bring our our behavior and our lives in line with those values and really what it boils down to is is you know considering what our values are consciously And repeatedly, and when I say repeatedly, I don't mean repeating the words, repeating the thoughts. I mean, going through the thought process repeatedly. And as we do it repeatedly, we'll uncover new things and, you know, uncover new angles, etc. So, you know, I want to maybe give some guiding questions, things that we can ask ourselves, ask ourselves. And, you know, number one is if you're lucky enough to have someone that you respect enough someone with whom you share share mutual respect and with whom you you know feel secure enough to have this conversation verbally that's you know probably the best option i think but certainly for me that's the ideal right is actually having a verbal conversation with someone but sometimes you know we're not ready for that yet sometimes we're not there yet or sometimes you know some of us might not be lucky enough to have someone with whom we can have a conversation like that and you know what We can have that conversation with ourselves. And I mean verbally. Sit down, stand up, go for a walk and talk. We can talk to ourselves verbally and actually have the conversation. And even if we're not talking to another person, the fact that we're talking, you know, speech neurologically, in order to talk, things have to pass from, you know, some parts of our brain to others. And it it pulls them out. It, it, It makes them, you know, makes us consciously aware of these things, which we need to be in order to say them. And so... You know, speaking verbally, even to ourselves, is a very powerful way of digging things out and uncovering them and making ourselves consciously aware of them. If we don't have someone else to talk to, talking to ourselves verbally can be very powerful. You know, and again, also writing. Address, ask ourselves this question. Address these questions. And it doesn't necessarily have to be these questions, but I think these questions might be a good starting point if, you know, if if, if anyone needs help with how to start this conversation and this thought process. Discuss these questions with someone else. Talk about them to ourselves verbally or write about them. You know, and I would say some good questions to ask are, number one, to clarify, what are our values? You know, and this isn't about what I think your values should be. This is about what are your values? What do you value in life? What are the things that you consider to be important? And then to confront that question, the answer to that question and to, you know, stop and think about what do our hearts value? What do our feelings value? You know, what, what do we feel? And to ask that question honestly and separately to the first question and don't, you know, don't try to find a way to explain how our feelings are really in line with our values. Separate question. Forget about question number one at this point. What are our feelings value? What do our hearts value? What are we interested in? emotionally what are we attracted to emotionally what are we engaged by emotionally 
Then, once we have honest quest answers to both of these questions separately, ask ourselves, discuss with someone else, with ourselves, in writing, verbally. Why do our hearts value different things to what our minds value? Why are our feelings you know, not completely aligned with our beliefs, with our values, our internal values, if that's the case. And again, I'm going to speculate and say for all of us, it's likely to be the case to varying degrees. You know, and if we stop and really think in detail about and honestly about why our feelings don't align completely with our values, then ask maybe the opposite question. Why do our minds value something different to what our hearts value. Why don't we value that which we necessarily, you know, feel interested in, feel attracted to? You know, this is not saying that universally all of our feelings are different to our values, but I think that all of us, I'm again going to speculate and say that I suspect that all of us, if we stop and ask ourselves, we can find ways in which, you know, our values are not exactly the same as what we feel interested in and engaged by, etc. You know, and then stop and ask that question. If this is what I feel, if this is what we're interested in and engaged by, why, when someone asks us what our values are, why isn't that the answer? Why might we respond, at least in part, that some of our values are not the same as what we feel? You know, why do we value something other than what we feel interested in, than what we feel we want. And then once we answer that question, we can start to, you know, have a conversation and discuss the value of our values and what we believe in our minds, which is the reason that we value those things above what we feel interested in. You know, and as we think about that, and again, think about it consciously, talk about it, write about it. Why do I value these things? Why, why you know, is A, B, and C my values, despite the fact that I feel interested in and attracted to and engaged by other things? Why are these my values? And as we have that conversation and talk about it and, you know, discuss the real value in these things, the value that we see, which is why we describe these things as being our values, why these are our beliefs, why these are the things we, you know, want our lives to be about and believe that our lives should be about. As we talk about that, our conscious mind hears that. Our heart will start to hear it. You know, the more we think about that on an ongoing basis, about why our beliefs are valuable, why, you know, what we think of as our values are valuable, why it makes sense for those to be our values and why it would be so good if our behavior always reflected those values or reflected those values more and talk about that in the open, whether it's with someone else or with ourselves. The more we talk about it, the more we express it to ourselves, the more our conscious minds catch on and the more our hearts will start to catch on. And if you hear something in the background again and again and again and again, Eventually, even if it's something you're not naturally interested in, very often it'll start to make its way in. And, you know, it happens with music. It happens with conversations, with topics we're not interested in. But if we hear enough about them, eventually we can start to become a little bit more interested as we become more familiar. And it's the same thing here. As our hearts, as our feelings are, are you know, explicitly exposed to what our values are and why these are our values, they'll start to gradually be influenced by that. 
and start to catch on. And our feelings will, you know, the gap between our hearts and our minds, the gap between our feelings and our values will start to get smaller and smaller. And as our feelings shift towards our values, our behavior will shift towards our values. And the lives we live every hour, every day will shift closer to our values, which will leave us feeling happier, healthier, more fulfilled. It'll leave us with a sense of internal wholeness as everything comes together, as our behavior, as the life we live reflects what we believe and what we truly value. You know, and, and engaging in this again and again to the degree. And, you know, it, I, I just want to clarify. By again and again, I don't mean we have to have this conversation 20 hours a day, seven days a week. But consistently, on an ongoing basis. And the more that we can, you know, think about this and focus on it, to whatever degree, you know, we're, we're able to and we can handle or we're interested in or whatever it is, whatever, you know, to whatever degree we think makes sense for ourselves based on, you know, the gap we have to close and, you know, how much we can handle these conversations, etc. You know, overdoing things never ends up being productive in the long run. But the more we can think about why we value what we value and think about it consciously and talk about it and write about it, the more unified our lives become, the more seamless our lives become, and the more peaceful, internally peaceful our lives become as the the tension between the different parts of ourselves, between our, our beliefs and our behavior, between our minds and our hearts gets smaller. As that gap gets smaller and things come together, life just that, you know, it, it, there's something very beautiful that happens when, when we can make that happen. And our well-being and fulfillment increase drastically. So, now what I want to address briefly, you know, before tying this up, is why now? Why am I talking about this? You know, why am I addressing this question of, you know, are our values, our behavioral values, the same as our our our, you know, academic or intellectual values? Are our values, our real values, really what we think they are? The reason I'm asking that question now is because, you know, this week, today, Tuesday, is the 12th of Tammuz. The 12th day of the month of Tammuz. And on this day, the previous Chabad Rebbe, Rabbi Yosef Yitzchak Schneerson, was freed from prison. And, you know, he was in prison. He was given, you know, a capital, a sentence of capital punishment. And nine days early on the 3rd of Tammuz, they commuted the capital punishment and said that he was going to have a lifetime, you know, exile and labor camp, etc. And then on the 12th of Tammuz, on this day, he, they, you know, they completely, you know, scratched the whole sentence and said he, he was free to go. And the reason the Friedrich Rebbe, the reason the previous Rebbe landed in prison was because his values were exactly what he thought they were. The values of his heart were exactly the same as the values of his mind. And his behavior was completely aligned with his values because his heart was completely aligned with his mind. And his feelings were aligned with his values and beliefs. And as a result of that, his behavior was aligned with his values and beliefs. 
And what that meant was that his behavior and the way he lived his life reflected those values and beliefs and reflected them to a degree that was far beyond what Judaism, what Torah expected of him. No, he risked his life for things that the Torah does not expect or even want us to risk our lives for. There are some times when, you know, what the Torah says is, you don't need to risk your life for that. It's fine. Better just, you know, do what you need to do. Stay safe and, you know, live live to fight another day. But to, but to the previous Rebbe, that, that wasn't even a question. He didn't want to do something to live to fight another day if it was against what he knew his values really were, if it was against his beliefs. Because his heart valued the same things that his mind did. He felt the same thing that he believed. So when he believed something and when he valued it, it was just natural for him to act on that. And if that meant that he was going to be in trouble for doing what he knew to be correct and true, for doing what he knew to be valuable, then that was just part of the course for him. That was so be it. And so because his, his heart was so aligned with his mind, and his feelings were so aligned with his values, he landed up in prison, in a Soviet prison, because you know, the, 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 the Soviet regime was antithetic, was, was you know, virulently opposed to his values and to what he knew to be true. And so his behavior, his behavior landed him in prison and got him a sentence of capital punishment, God forbid. To him, this was reality. His beliefs and values were reality. And it wasn't a question about whether or not he was going to behave that way. His values were the truth of Torah, were following the guidelines and, and directives of Torah, the instructions and commandments, bringing divinity into the world through mitzvahs, through Torah, through living a life of Torah Judaism. And that was what he was going to do, no questions asked, no matter what. He didn't have to force himself. It was just who he was. It was what he believed, what he knew, and what he felt. So it was what he did. Now, to tie up, I want to... I actually heard this quote recently. I'm, I'm not sure what the origin of the quote is, but it's, it's, it's for better or for worse, it's, it's a good one. And that is that one who does not make time for their health will make time for illness. Right? Investing in health, investing in our health, it, it takes time, it takes effort, it's not easy, it's demanding. But the bottom line is that investment results in better health, in improved health. And the more we put into improving our health and maintaining a state of good health, the less we're going to have to put into illness. Obviously, you know, there's no guarantees and it's not black and white. But for any given person, the more we invest in our health, the less we'll have to invest in illness. That's just a fact. That That's black and white for any given person. You know, and when it comes to investing in our health and improving our health, when it comes to eating, nutri- uh, you know, maybe a more nutritious diet, eating less junk, eating more good food, when it comes to exercise, when we start out, it takes a lot of effort. It takes a huge investment of energy. You know, if we're used to cert- eating a certain way, eating a certain diet for a long time, and then we have to, you know, maybe make some drastic changes. It's really hard 
it's very, very hard to make a drastic to make drastic changes in what we eat. It's very hard to start really exercising properly if we haven't done much exercise at all for a long time. It takes a lot of effort. That's true. But it's also true that if we put in that effort and if we make a start and we get started and we change our diet and we start exercising, and if we can stick with it consistently, very quickly, it will require less and less and less effort. I wouldn't say it becomes easy very quickly, but it comes much less difficult quite quickly if we're consistent. It, it quickly gets substantially less difficult, I would say. No, now, we, we never are free of that. We never don't have to put in any effort at all. But if we're consistent, you know, it can relatively rapidly get to a point where, you know, it's maintenance and we still have to eat well and we still have to exercise. But the amount of effort it takes to do that is can become relatively minimal because we're used to it. You know, and we've, you know, once... Also, let's say when it comes to exercise, you know what? First, when we haven't exercised in years and we're very unfit, it's really hard to exercise. It's physically difficult to exercise. But once we've exercised regularly, you know, our fitness improves very rapidly if we do it regularly. And then it becomes physically much easier to exercise. And as we get used to it in terms of, you know, the the internal investment we have to do to push ourselves to do it, it becomes easier and easier as we get used to it. So it gets to a point relatively rapidly where... You know, it's always going to take some effort, but it takes much, much, much less effort. And it gets to a point where it's just maintenance. Yeah, we have to remind ourselves and push ourselves to eat well. We have to remind ourselves and push ourselves to exercise. But it's nothing like what it was in the beginning when we had to get started. And all of these things are exactly the same here. The more we invest in making our hearts in bringing our hearts in line with our minds, the more we invest in making our values, the more we invest, sorry, in making our feelings match and reflect our values and beliefs, the greater the sense of internal wholeness that we're going to have, the more seamless our sense of self and our experience of self is going to be, and the greater our well-being and sense of fulfillment are going to be. Now, you know, and considering, you know, the, the flip side of that, the cost, you know, of, of having a poor state of well-being, of, of feeling the tension and the stress and all the negative things that come along with knowing that we're not living up to our values and our expectations and knowing that our behavior, you know, really doesn't reflect what we value and that there's a big gap between our, beha- our behavior and, and the lives that we're living and our values... That, that, you know, that, that takes a very big toll. And, and keeping that in mind, you know, it, it's a very good idea. It makes a lot of sense. And it's worth investing the necessary effort to avoid having to damage control that later, right? If we invest in our health, the more we invest in our health, the less we'll have to invest in illness, The more we invest in the alignment of our hearts with our minds, the more we invest in the alignment of our feelings with our values and beliefs, the less we'll have to invest in closing that gap because we've already brought them into line. And the less we'll have to invest in, you know, repairing the damage and the 
the unwell-being that can result from it. You know, and the same way that when we start improving our diet and start exercising, it takes a lot of effort. You now, when we want to start addressing these things, you know, it, there's no way to do this without allowing ourselves to be vulnerable, you know, and to confront ourselves and ask ourselves confronting questions. And it's not such an easy thing to do if we're doing it for real and we're doing it honestly in a way that it's really going to make a difference. It, we have to really commit and, you know, and put in the mental and emotional effort to be able to confront ourselves like that and to allow ourselves to be able to be that vulnerable. And also just the process of going through the thought and having these, you know, these conversations, asking the questions, thinking about them, discussing them with ourselves, with someone else verbally in writing. That's something that takes a lot of effort too. But if we can muster up the courage to confront ourselves despite that discomfort, and to start this conversation and to ask these questions and start thinking about them and discussing them, very quickly, it becomes less difficult. It becomes less uncomfortable. And relatively quickly, you know, we can get to a point where the gap really starts to close and our lives come closer to our values. And we feel more whole and complete and seamless and healthy and fulfilled. And there'll always be maintenance and we always have to be on top of this. But if we can, you know, have the courage to get it started and to put in the large amount of effort that it takes to get started, pretty quickly we can get to a point where, you know, it's, we don't have to invest that much time and we, it doesn't have to be that uncomfortable to maintain it and to make that gap gradually even smaller and smaller and to bring our feelings closer and closer to our values. Once, you know, we've done the groundwork and, and sort of gotten used to the work and, and brought them, you know, substantially closer, it becomes easier and easier to continue bringing them closer and closer. And the value, the benefit of bringing our lives in line with our values, bringing our feelings in line with our beliefs. Again, it can't be overstated. Physic and, and it will be reflected in our physical health, in our mental health, in our emotional well-being. And all of those things will be affected by closing that gap, will be improved drastically by closing that gap. Now, I'm just going to want to conclude and tie it up with something I heard, I, I, I've mentioned this in different places, I don't know if I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but one of the close friends that I have who's an alcoholic in recovery, I have several. And you know, they're, they're some of the realest and most incredible people that I know, as a rule. And one of them told me that, you know, thankfully he doesn't go to meetings, he doesn't have to go to meetings as frequently as he used to, he doesn't have to go every day, he goes a couple times a week. But one the, the place that he primarily goes to regularly for his meetings, the place he goes to usually when he's at home in town, they have a rule that, and the rule is that you're not allowed to say can't. You're never allowed to say the word can't. I can't do something. Anytime that you feel like you want to say, I can't do something, you have to replace the word can't with don't want to enough. I don't want to do that enough to put in the amount of effort it's going to require. Are there some exceptions 
Yeah, there are some things that we literally can't do. But if we stop and, you know, take stock of how many times we say, I can't do that. The the percentage of those times when really what we actually mean is I don't want to do that enough to put in the effort is going to be pretty close to 100%, I think, for most people. So, you know, and again, that's another confronting question sometimes. I really want that, but if I can't do it, what that means is I don't want it enough to put in the necessary effort. And sometimes it doesn't make sense to put in the necessary effort. Sometimes the effort, the effort that's required for something we want doesn't make sense. It's not justified. And then it makes sense not to do it. But if there's something we feel like we really, really, really want, and it's for sure worth having no matter what, and then we, but at the same time, we say that we can't do it. We need to stop and ask ourselves, well, hang on a second. Is it true that I can't? Or is it more that I'm not prepared to do what it takes because it's going to be so demanding or difficult or painful or uncomfortable or whatever it is. And then we need to stop and ask ourselves, is it or is it not sufficiently valuable to justify that effort or discomfort or pain or whatever it is? Because almost invariably, when we say I can't, we really mean I don't want it badly enough. Now, the seamlessness and wholeness that the previous Rebbe lived with. The life he lived where his life reflected his values because his feelings were completely aligned with his beliefs. And because his heart was aligned with his mind and his beliefs were aligned, his his feelings were aligned with his values, his behavior was aligned with his values and he lived the life that he believed he should be living. He lived the life that he wanted to believe. And that seamlessness and wholeness and internal sense of peace is something that every one of us can have. The pathway is clear. It's simple. It's not easy. It takes a lot of effort, especially at the beginning, especially when we need to you know, confront ourselves and ask ourselves these questions at first. It can be very uncomfortable. And it can take, honestly, it can take a lot of courage to ask ourselves those questions and address them. And, you know, to discuss them and have that conversation, whether with someone else or even with ourselves, honestly. To have that honest conversation, even with ourselves, can take a lot of courage. You know, and there's a reason why, you know, it's not uncommon that our behavior doesn't reflect our values. And that's because what it takes to close the gap between our values and our hearts, between our minds and our hearts, our values and our feelings, can involve some uncomfortable and confronting questions. But if we can muster up the courage to have that conversation with ourselves, to really address it, to ask these questions and to discuss them and go through them, that seamlessness and wholeness and internal peace is something every one of us can have. The only question is, do we want it badly enough? We can, but do we want to? Do we want to enough to do what it takes? That's the only question. This has been the Bites of Judaism podcast. If it hit the spot, please leave a five-star rating and a review. It really will help it reach more people. And tell your friends about it. That obviously helps too. If you haven't yet, you can subscribe on all the major podcast platforms at rabbiglick.link slash podcast. To dedicate a future episode of the podcast, send an email to podcast at rabbiglick.com. 
And if you'd like to support the podcast, you can make a tax-deductible contribution at rabbiglick.link partner. See you next week.